Hello. Hello. Nice to see people up there. Great, thank you so much for joining us. My name's Dan. I'm part of the leadership team here at the church. And if you're uh, visiting, if you're a guest, uh, you're especially welcome. Um, at the end of the service, you get a chance to uh, do stay around. We'd love to, um, to chat to you. I'd love to get to know you a bit more. Um, and if you have been with us for the last couple of weeks, you will know that we have been um, looking at meals that Jesus had um, throughout his ministry um, and how meals, firstly, are a place where uh, family is found. And then last week, um, Sue shared about how it is a place where discipleship happens. And I thought she just did a wonderful job, didn't she? Just painting a beautiful picture of what discipleship means around a table. And throughout the, the Gospel of Luke that we found in the New Testament, we, we find Jesus having meals, doing life with people. And as he spends time with people, they learn what it is to live in the kingdom of God. And at Jubilee, as Jason's just said, we're going to be launching uh, life groups, which are going to be a place where we can do life together. They're going to be small gatherings, six to eight people who uh, regularly meet to be family together, to learn what it is to follow Jesus and discipleship together, uh, to do discipleship together. And then finally, they're going to be places where mission happens. So family, discipleship, and mission. And then, as Jason said, then what is going to happen is our life groups will meet regularly with other life groups once a month um, in larger gatherings where we can just get to enjoy God's presence together as we worship, as we pray, as we receive teaching. But primarily those life groups are going to be places where family, discipleship, and mission happens. And so far, we have uh, been looking at meals uh, that Jesus had in the Gospel of Luke. And so far, we have, uh, we're going to be looking at Luke 9, if you want to turn there today, if you've got a Bible with you. And so far in the Gospel of Luke, we have seen uh, Jesus deliver the Sermon on the Mount. We have seen him uh, start to teach people about what it is to live in the kingdom. And then in Luke 9, what we see is he sends out his 12 closest followers, known as the disciples. It says in Luke uh, 9, starting in verse 1, When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. This is what discipleship means. Teaching and equipping and then sending them out in the power of the Holy Spirit to do all the work that Jesus has for them. And then what happens is we find the disciples return to Jesus and we're going to continue the story that we're going to be reading today from verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with them and they withdrew by themselves to the town of Bethsaida, but the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. 
When he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people, they all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The crowds arrive eager to hear from Jesus. He's gained quite a reputation. By this point, as I said, he's already delivered the Sermon on the Mount. He's, uh, he's raised the dead boy. Um, he has said, declared to everyone that he can forgive sins. Jesus has been declaring he is the Messiah. He is uh, the one that they have been waiting for. And then he has been showing them what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God where Jesus is king. He's making uh, quite a, a reputation and, and the crowds have been searching for him. They have found him and in his kindness and his love for them, he sits them down and he teaches. It's getting late and the disciples suggest that they uh, send the crowds home so they can find uh, somewhere to stay and some food. But Jesus has other plans for this hungry crowd. Uh, this story, um, if you know your New Testament, you'll know that this story, the feeding of the 5,000, is, is the only miracle that's repeated in every single gospel. And we find a little bit of inf different information in each story. And so we know from the, the gospel of John that it is, um, that is a boy who comes with the five loaves and the two fish. We don't find that bit of detail in this bit that we read today, but we know that it is a boy who comes to the disciples and says, this is what I've got. Jesus then takes that small food and he multiplies it. Not just the feeding of the 5,000, but it's 5,000 men plus the women and the children who were there. We've been sharing about meals. Um, we've been sharing about meals that Jesus had. And, and this one that we're looking at today is the biggest that he has or that we know about. It's an incredible miracle where everyone present has enough. They all have enough to eat. They are all satisfied. This is not a measly portion, but this is abundance. The provision that Jesus gives these people is completely over the top. He is completely outrageous. Jesus is not tight-fisted. He is not mean. He is the God of abundance. This might not always be food, but you can always know he is kind and he blesses those who love him. If your view today is that God is mean and tight-fisted, you don't know Jesus. This isn't the Jesus that the gospel speaks about. But as I was reading this story and preparing for today, I had one major question. Why do this miracle? I mean, I, I understand why Jesus would raise the dead. That's quite a I mean, it's quite an impressive miracle. I mean, it's quite high up on the list. And if, especially if you're the dead person, it's quite an important miracle to happen. Um, but why feed hungry people rather than sending them home? Well, we know that even, because he, even after he did the miraculous, it didn't mean that people chose to follow Jesus. In fact, we know from the Gospel of John that the vet, one day after this has happened... One day after he has fed all of these people, Jesus challenges those who were there in John 6, 26. And he says, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He then challenges them and they don't like it. They start to grumble. They're no longer interested in following Jesus because they like the miracles, but don't want to be obedient. So why this miracle? 
Jesus knows that the people will eat the food and then grumble and walk away just one day later. So why do it? I have two thoughts I want to share with you today. The firstly is I believe that it is a moment of teaching for the disciples, and I'm going to come to that towards the end. But secondly, I also think that Jesus wanted to give them a taste of what was to come. These people who were fed by the the miraculous provision, they would soon be hungry again. This wasn't the the real thing, but this was a foretaste of the real thing to come. An eternal banquet which would completely satisfy. 5,000 men plus women and children, they gather together. It says they're in a desolate place. They are in need and they share food together with Jesus in the center, with Jesus as the provider. This is a glimpse of what is to come in eternity, where Jesus is the center of all things, providing all that we need. Never will we be in need, never will we hunger again. The the feeding of the 5,000 becomes a, a missional moment where people get a glimpse of what it is to live in the kingdom of God. We don't know who all the people were. We don't know where they've come from, but I think it's a fair assumption to say in such a large crowd, there would have been a wide range of people. And so what Jesus here is presenting is a new vision of reality, one in where everyone is invited to come and eat with Jesus. No matter where you are from, no matter what you have done, you are all welcome to come and feast with Jesus in the kingdom of God. And this is exactly the same picture that Jesus presents when he tells the parable of the great banquet that we find in Luke 14. He says this, so this is from verse 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he had sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought a five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and he reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant to go out into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house may be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get to taste my banquet. This is a new vision of reality where God's rule and reign creates flourishing for all. Everyone is welcome. Those who have nothing can come and eat without payment. This uh, parable was told in response to the Pharisees, which were a a group of religious people. They were holding a meal for Jesus at the time, but they were more concerned about showing how important they were. They were more concerned about getting the best seats. God sets a table for all, but some are much too important to accept the invitation. Some are much too busy with the cares of this world to come. Some have too much pride to humble themselves and accept the gift that is on offer. And at the banquet, you notice it is the poor. It is the lame. It is those in need who get to experience it. Everyone is invited. But sometimes it is only those who know they have need who look to the Savior. 
Sometimes it takes us to get to that point where all we have is Jesus, do we realize that Jesus is all we need. Those who come to the table, they feast on God's goodness. They are welcomed in to the kingdom. And I believe that through our meals, we get a chance to give people a glimpse of what it is to live in the kingdom of God. We give people chance to encounter Jesus. Meals become a place for mission. Sometimes the idea of mission scares people. You might feel, I don't have the answers, or I don't feel like I have my life together enough to share about Jesus. Sometimes our idea of mission is that we make friends with people with the aim of inviting them to an alpha course or inviting them to a guest service where an expert can tell them about Jesus. But if you are a follower of Jesus today, your role is to point people to Jesus. We invite people to feast on Jesus. We invite them to this eternal banquet. We can't bring them in. No, we show them Jesus, but he is the one who works in their hearts. He is the one who draws them to himself. And in our life groups, we're going to get a chance to do life together. We're going to get a chance to eat together. We're going to get a chance to create spaces where people can come in and experience Jesus. We want our life groups to be places where it is a safe place for you to invite your friends who are exploring faith to come in and see what it is like to live in the kingdom of God. A table where everybody is welcome. Too often, I think, the church, or us as Christians, we can be good at pointing our finger at culture. We can be good at saying, complaining about the way the world is. But what if instead of pointing our finger at culture... We instead presented culture with an alternative way of living. What if our lives created a spiritual envy in others where they, and they, where they start to hunger to know Jesus? Where they see us and say, I want to know more. Where they see a group of people who genuinely love Jesus, genuinely love each other and genuinely love the world around them. And this is so different to suggesting that we put on meals for people. There is a time, and we do this in Jubilee a lot, where we are to serve our community. But the season we are in must be more than just providing for someone in need. If we just provide for someone in need, then what we communicate is that I am able, you are unable. I am superior, you are inferior. I have something to give you, you have nothing to give me. But when we eat together, we meet as equals. We share together, we celebrate one another, we enjoy one another. This isn't about us creating spaces where we invite them in and then we tell them that they should be like us. But as they become friends, they truly see who we are. They see, actually, you know what? Dan's a bit messed up. They see that I'm no better than them, but they see the impact of grace in my life. And they see what it is to live with a hope of what is to come. And this means that as well as creating spaces for people to come into our life groups, it also means accepting hospitality from others, going to the places where they are. Jesus demonstrates this throughout his life. We see it throughout the Gospels. Of course, Jesus serves us. And he, in, he goes to the cross as the ultimate act of service. But he also accepts service. 
We see him accept hospitality from Levi in Luke 5. We see him accept hospitality from the woman at Simon's house in Luke 7. We see him accept water from the Sumerian woman in John 4. Jesus isn't just the helper of sinners. He is the friend of sinners. Our love for God should lead us towards the lost. If your love for Jesus doesn't make you love those around you more, then you are not loving Jesus. This is about bringing mission into the ordinary. Too often we see mission as extraordinary. We feel awkward speaking about Jesus. We think that God only moves in the spectacular rather rather than in the witness of people like you and I. That when we get to that point, we outsource to the professional at the guest service where they do mission for us. But as we do life around a table, as we spend time with others, we make space for God's spirit to move. Setting a table, cooking a meal, washing up and clearing up all the mess afterwards provides a context in which people feel welcomed and loved. And then God's spirit can work in their lives. I want to say something really important and very obvious. Meals won't save people. People are saved through the gospel's message. But meals create a natural opportunity to share what living in the kingdom looks like. It gives people a chance to hear the gospel message in a context where they get to taste and see that this message is for them. This is about meals being a place for family. Meals being a place of discipleship and meals being a place of mission. This isn't about demanding more from your lives. This isn't, a, this isn't about asking you to fill your diaries. This is asking you to sh- center your life around following Jesus together as family. Meals are vital for all the reasons that we've been sharing over the last three weeks. We've hopefully been painting a picture of why we want to center our lives around meals. But if you want to be any more convinced about meals, I've just got one last reason for you. You're going to eat anyway, so why not do it with someone else? That's my last appeal to you on that one. Please sign up, not dull.org forward slash gathering, or the slips at the back. Why not eat with someone else? And as we do this, I am so confident that God will move in and through us. So confident. He will give us the energy to deal with the challenges. He will give us patience and grace to build friendships. He will give us a love for those around us. And I know this because Jesus always equips those he calls. After the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples are discussing some of Jesus' teachings. And he reminds them of what happened. This is Matthew 16, 9 to 11. Jesus says to them, Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Jesus wants to remind his disciples that when they reached out and helped others, when they helped feed the 5,000, afterwards they gathered 12 baskets of food. How many disciples were there? 12. Not only does Jesus feed the 5,000, but he also gives 12 baskets of food for the 12 men distributing it. I missed that in the story. 
until I was reading it recently. They, they feed the 5,000. They sit everyone down. They help Jesus. They serve with their all. They don't know what they're doing to start with. They, they want to send all the crowds home, but then they step in. Jesus says, will you trust me? Will you go for this? They feed the 5,000. Then afterwards, 12 men all have one basket full of food each. And I believe Jesus is saying through that, that he will always take care of their needs. God is using this miracle to show them that when they give away all that they have, he will still provide everything that they need. As we pour out our lives for the city, Jesus is going to give us everything we need. We pour out our lives for the one who gave everything for us. One who went to the cross. Such sacrifice in order that we could live. We have that story of grace. We have that story of forgiveness. We who were once far away have been drawn near. We who were once lost have now been found. We have this message of hope that the world so desperately needs. Jesus loves our city. And he has a table set for us all. And the way he chooses to reach the city is through ordinary people like you and I. Filled with the Spirit, living as followers of Jesus. In this next season, will we center our lives around the one who gave up everything for us? Will we give it up for him, knowing that as we pour out our lives for our city, he will give everything that we need? Would you stand with me? Would the band return? In a moment, we're going to I'm going to hand over to Jason, who's going to lead us in this time of communion as we remember Christ's death, as we remember what Jesus did for us. We remember that we don't just pour out our lives and sacrifice to some, someone who just demands our all but gives us nothing. But he went to the cross for us. He gave out everything for us, and we then respond with our lives. So, Jason, would you join me and let's pray. Father, we thank you that your way of reaching the city, the way of reaching this region and the way of reaching this nation is through ordinary believers like me. Ordinary believers like all those who call Jubilee their home. We know you don't need to use us, but you delight in partnering with us. And I just pray in this next season you would give us all we need to step into your plans and purposes, that as a family, we would demonstrate that in this next season through the way we center our lives around being family and following you. The way we eat together, the way we do life together, the way we talk together, the way we cry together, the way we disciple one another and the way we go on mission together, we would do it with you in the center. The one who gave it all for us. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. Help us to respond to that sacrifice through giving of ourselves to you and to our city. Amen.